Well, good morning. Welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us. And we have family in person worshiping as well as family online worshiping. So you guys who are here, if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family today. I used to complain that my kids had way too many toys. That was until COVID-19 happened. And then I was very grateful for all the toys that we had in our house because it kept my kids entertained. And as you guys know, little ones, they get bored pretty easily. And so I was the other day going around looking at our house at all these different toys that we had. I blame grandparents for most of them because every time they come, they bring more toys. But I was looking at all these toys and it reminded me of some of my favorite toys I had growing up. And as I was thinking about that, I wondered if some of our staff had the same favorite toys that I had. Those that were close to my age. And so I sent out an email the other day and just said, hey, share with me what your favorite toy was from your childhood. And I got a ton of different responses, but some of them gave me the same response. And I want to see if you guys had some of these toys. So I'm going to put some examples up on the screen. And if you had one of these toys growing up, I want you to shout out loud, clap, hoop, holler, whatever you want to do. Let the people online know that you had that toy, okay? So let them hear you. And I want to see if you guys had some of these classic toys, okay? So this first one is for all the ladies in the room, I hope. Then you have a Barbie growing up. Anybody have any Barbie dolls? All right, several of you, that's what I figured. My daughter, Addie, really hasn't got into Barbies yet. Now, she has little Disney princess dolls, but not Barbie dolls. I did not have any of these growing up. Don't worry, okay? This next one is for the guys in the room. How many of you guys had a G.I. Joe growing up? Anybody? All right, a good number of you. That's awesome, because now you know, and knowing is half the... Battle. All right. Some of you guys remember that. Good. How about this one right here? It's also for the girls in the room. Anybody have an Easy Bake Oven growing up? All right. Any of you eat something from an Easy Bake Oven? Anybody try something and you live to tell about it? Okay. That's awesome. How about this next one? Anybody have a Cabbage Patch doll? So that was all the rage during the 80s. Any guys want to admit that they had a Cabbage Patch doll? Any dudes want to? Okay, one down here did. Okay. Anyway, uh, I wouldn't admit that if I were you, but awesome. And how about this last one right here? Legos. This is one of my favorites. Anybody have Legos? Yeah, I love to build stuff. I love to tear stuff up as well. So Legos, they were the perfect toy. But as much as I loved Legos, probably my favorite toy, if you call it a toy, is probably more of a game system. But one of my favorite gifts I got one year for Christmas was a classic Nintendo. And I love this. This was like one of my, oh yeah, some of you guys like it too. Awesome. This is one of like one of my favorite gifts ever as a kid because all of my neighborhood friends had one and I would play on theirs and I asked and asked and asked for one and eventually my parents got one. I had to share it with my brother though. It was for both of us, but still. And my favorite game to play was Super Mario Brothers. Anybody remember Super Mario Brothers? You know, it was great. It was awesome. Now we had other games. This was the game that came with it. That and Duck Hunt, remember, came with it. But I love this game probably more than any of the rest of them. And if you have not had the chance to play one of these, the classic Nintendo has some really cool features. Like, for one thing, if the game froze on you, you guys know what to do, right? You would take the cartridge out and you'd do what? <sighs> Blow on it, right? And then put it back in and it would work. Still to this day, when, uh, whenever uh, technical stuff doesn't work for me, I blow on it. I know it doesn't help at all, but I blow on it for some reason because I grew up in that generation. But also it had another really cool feature on it, and that was that it had a reset button. If you can't see it on the one that I'm holding right now, here it is. Had a power button, 
and a reset button. And that reset button really came in handy because if you got to the end of the game, and I hate to admit this, but I never did rescue the princess from King Koopa. Never did do it. I know it's one of my great regrets in life. I was never actually able to win Super Mario Brothers. But still, when you got to the end of the game and you had to face off King Koopa to try to uh, save the princess, you wanted as many lives as you could possibly have. I think you start off with like three and then you could gain more along the way. And you wanted all the lives that you could possibly have because you didn't do it on the first time. It took you several times to try to beat King Koopa. And so early on in the game, like in one of the earliest levels, if you lost one of Mario's lives, you know, like a sliding turtle took you out too soon or whatever, you know, you know what, know what you could do? You could hit that little reset button and you could start the game all over again as if you never played it, as if it never happened. And then you start over with fresh lives and you try again and hopefully you can make it to the end with as many lives as possible. And as I was thinking about that this week, it hit me. Wouldn't it be great if in life we had a reset button? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be awesome if you had a bad day and you get to the end of your day and all of a sudden you could just hit reset and do that day over again? Or maybe you had a conversation that didn't go very well and you said some things that you really didn't mean or you should not have said. You could just hit reset on that conversation and do it all over again. Or maybe you made some big mistake and either you realized you made a mistake or you got caught making that mistake, you messed up. And wouldn't it be great if you could just hit reset and have that moment back? It'd be great if life came with a reset button, but we all know that's not how life works. We're not able to turn back time. We're not able to go back in time. Life doesn't work that way. And even though we're not able to turn back time, roll back time, by the way, I have that share song in my head right now. If I could turn back time. Okay, I'll stop. But uh, even though we're not able to turn back time, the Bible does have a lot to say about this, that God has the power to reset our lives. I mean, as you read through the pages of Scripture, you see this theme over and over and over again, that God has the power to reset our lives. You see themes like God has the power to make what's old new again, that our past doesn't have to define our present or our future, or who we were yesterday doesn't mean that's who we have to be today. We see these themes all throughout Scripture, and one of the classic verses that hits on this theme comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. And what the Bible is trying to get at when it talks about that God has the power to reset our lives, it's not saying that God erases the past in the sense as if it has never lived. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying that God has the power to carve a new path out for us. That no matter where we are right now, God can carve out a new path for us to take, and our past doesn't have to control us anymore. Our past doesn't have to hold us back anymore. Our past doesn't have to define us anymore. That God can give us a fresh start and we can start down a new path through His Son today. Let me put it this way. When we do life with Jesus, He'll show us how to reset our lives around what really matters. Because here's the thing. It's easy to get off track. It's easy to get off course and start living for stuff that doesn't matter. It leaves us feeling empty inside. And when we do life with Jesus, he'll show us how to reset our lives around what really matters. So let me ask kind of a difficult question today, but I want you to think about it. I want you to ask it of yourself. Are you happy with your life right now? Are you happy with how things are going in your life? 
Are you satisfied with the direction of your life right now? I know during this whole COVID-19 situation, it's been a time for a lot of us to sit back and reflect on our lives and realize that maybe there are some things that we're missing. Maybe there are some areas of our lives where we needed to hit reset. I've heard numerous people say, you know, I realized I wasn't spending near enough time with my family as I should. I realized I was way too busy. I realized that I wasn't resting enough. I realized I wasn't taking care of my health. I realized I was further away from God than I knew. For a lot of people make comments like that during this COVID-19 situation as if it's given us this moment to just pause and hit reset on certain areas of our lives. And I think this situation has allowed our church to do the same. Because as a leadership of First Church, we've been able to sit back and say, hey, are we the church that God wants us to be? Are we going in the direction that God wants us to go? Are there any areas of our ministry, any areas of our church that we need to hit reset on and make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do? Believe it or not, there was a church that existed some 2,000 years ago that needed to hit reset. Jesus knew it, and Paul the Apostle knew it. And so Paul wrote two different letters to this church to try to encourage them and to try to make sure that they could get back on track. This church was located in a city called Corinth. And Corinth was a lot like the cities, many cities in our Western culture today. It was all about self-promotion. It was all about self-indulgence. It was a city that was all about status, all about self. Everybody wanted to get ahead. And the identity of this city revolved around some key, what I'm going to call functional gods. For one thing, it revolved around sports. Corinth was known for being a place where people from all over the region would come for sporting events. In fact, they hosted one sporting event that took place every two years that was on the level of our Olympic, our Olympic Games today. They were known for their sports, so people found their identity through athletics. It was also known for sex. Can you guys think of a city that's known for the sex industry? Las Vegas, maybe? You know, can you think of a city like that? I'm just going to leave it there, but Corinth... It was known for sexual promiscuity, and some people found their identity in that. It's also known for its business practices. It was the epicenter of trade in its day. You could go there, and you could make a living. You could make a lot of money and be very, very successful in Corinth. But it was also known for its academics. Philosophers and scholars lived there. And they would host debates there. People from all over would come to listen to these great teachers. And students would come to learn from these great philosophers. It was known for its academics. And so people found their identity in that as well. And here's the thing. These functional gods were not the only gods. There were idols that people worshipped too. But see, that's more obvious when you worship idols. These were the less obvious gods that people chased after. Yet people did chase after them. They thought that by pursuing these things, they could find meaning to life. They could find value in their lives. They could feel the emptiness that was deep within them. But yet none of those things did that. So the church was there. A church was planted there in order to show people what life was really all about, to show people there's more to life than just what you see around you, that there's more to life, and that more to life is Jesus. That's why the church at Corinth existed. And yet, as we read through Paul's letters to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth had started to blend in with the culture. In fact, it was hard to tell a difference between the two. They, get so, they got so caught up in the cultural tide that they lost their identity in Jesus. They lost sight of what really mattered. And so Paul writes to this church 
that's off track to get them back on track. And listen to what he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. In other words, you're not being led by God's Spirit right now. I mean, he's calling them out here. He's letting them know they need to hit reset. You know why? Because instead of being led by the Spirit, they're people who are still worldly. They're being led by the same things that lead the people of this world. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. I once heard someone say this, those who follow the crowd usually get lost in it. And I think that's the church of Corinth. They're just going along with the crowd, going along with the culture, riding the cultural wave. And in so doing, they had lost sight of Jesus. They had lost sight of what was most important. And when you read through Paul's letters to the Corinthians, you see how this is playing out. I mean, these people who claim to follow Jesus are fighting among themselves. They're suing one another because they want more money. They're sleeping with one another because sex has become a God. They're excluding one another for reasons that God tells them are sinful. Not only that, they're getting drunk together during the Lord's Supper. Um, That may sound fun, but it wasn't, okay? They were getting drunk together during the Lord's Supper. And Paul calls them out for all those things and says, I can't tell the difference between you guys and everybody else in your city. Paul calls them out and he says, time out. You've lost sight of what's most important. And here's the thing. Most churches that I'm aware of in our culture today They're not as far gone as Corinth. (laughs) They're not as off the rails as Corinth was. But you don't have to be as off the rails as Corinth was in order to lose sight of what really matters. All it takes is for you to shift your eyes, take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on yourself for just a second, just a moment, for you to start veering off course. And before you realize realize it, you're somewhere that you never intended to be. Most states in our country have laws against texting while you drive. You guys know that. You're not supposed to do it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you've ever texted while you've been driving because probably all of our hands would go up. But still, you're not supposed to do it, right? And you know why? We think, oh, that's not a big deal. Just read a text message, send a text message. It's not a big deal. But studies show that if you're texting while driving and you're going 55 miles per hour, if you look at your phone for five seconds, just five seconds, You have traveled a distance of 100 yards, the length of a football field. You think an accident can happen in 100 yards? You bet it can. Just taking your eyes off what matters for a second can lead to big trouble. And you see, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on ourselves, even if it's just for a second, it can lead to big trouble. And that's why Jesus tells us that our focus isn't to be on ourselves. No, if you really want to live a full life, a complete life, a content life, a satisfied life, you know what your focus needs to be on? Two things. You're to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love God and love people. This is how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. This is the most important of all of God's commands. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
In other words, you want to know what's most important? Love God, love people. It doesn't matter what else you're doing. If you're not loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving people as he has loved you, then nothing else you do matters. And that's what the church at Corinth needed to hear. Because, guys, they were still showing up for church. They were still going through the motions of their religion. They were taking communion every Sunday. They were singing the worship songs. They were listening to the sermon. They were going through the motions of religion. But they weren't loving God with all their, all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they weren't loving their neighbors as themselves. And Paul is letting them know they've missed it completely. That's why I love our mission statement here at First Church. You guys probably heard it by now. Love Jesus, love like Jesus, based on the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives us. We want to be a church that loves Jesus with everything we have. And we want to be a church that loves people as Jesus has loved us. Here at First Church, among our staff, we have what we call our Staff Ten Commandments. You guys may not know that, and that's okay, because we don't necessarily share it with everybody. It's not a secret. If you want to know what our Staff Ten Commandments are, I'll share them with you. But these are just the guidelines for our staff culture, that if you want to be a member of our staff team, you've got to live by these commandments. And the first commandment of our Staff Ten Commandments is mission first. Because if you want to be part of our leadership team here, you've got to be willing to love Jesus and love like Jesus yourself. You've got, your heart has to be a mission-first kind of heart. And if you don't agree to that, then nothing else matters. The church of Corinth, they weren't mission-first. And that's why Paul writes to them, he says this. I mean, this is an indictment. Look at what he says to them. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. I can't call you spiritual people. I can't call you people who are led by the Spirit of God. Instead, I have to refer to you as people who are worldly, people who are led by self-interest. And I think that's why Paul goes on to say in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, for Christ's love compels us. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for who? For themselves, but for him, for Jesus who died for them and was raised again. Paul says, we're not supposed to live for ourselves. We're supposed to live for Jesus. And by living for Jesus, he becomes our motivation for life. His life compels us to go out and to make a difference in this world and to also share his love with other people. Because we understand that living in relationship with him, experiencing his love is what we were created for. And it doesn't matter what other success we have in life. It doesn't matter what other toys we gain in life. It doesn't matter how popular we are or how influential we are. It doesn't matter what relationships we have. If we are not united with the God who created us, everything else is meaningless. Because everything else will go away and the only thing that will remain is our relationship with the one who made us and loves us and created us. This past Sunday, as you guys know, is Father's Day. So I got to spend some time with my family Sunday afternoon and I had a good time. We went fishing. We have a pond in our backyard. It's our neighborhood pond, and we go fishing a lot. I've talked about that before. It's a ton of fun. And so uh, sometimes just me and Alex, but this time Alex and Addie and Allison, we all went as a family. And so we were fishing. Here's a picture of us fishing. Addie caught a fish. You can see it's about that big, but still she caught a little bitty fish. And so we were posing for this picture, and it was a lot of fun. But here's the thing. That day, Alex probably caught, I don't know, 15 or so fish. Most of them were small. He caught a couple catfish. Addie caught four or five fish. Allison caught a couple fish and when we got done fishing after about an hour or so Allison looked at me and she said well Chad how many did you get 
I said, one. And she laughed. She said, you only got one? Alice got like 15 and you got one? I said, well, think about it here for a second. I was like, who's been putting all the worms on his hook? <laughs> who's been getting his line out of the water when it's stuck? Who's been taking the fish off of his hook because he doesn't want to do it? Who's been taking care of Addie as well? I mean, who's been doing all this? I haven't had a lot of time to fish because I've been taking care of them. And Allison looked at me and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry and whatever. This is your Father's Day. You should have been able to fish. I was like, no, no, no. Spending time with them makes this moment worth it. You see, I asked Addie after a fish that she caught if she wanted to kiss it. And you know, know what she did instead? She kissed me, and Allison caught it. She took a picture of it. That moment right there is one of the reasons why I went fishing with my family. It's not about the fish I catch, which I've got to throw back anyway. My HOA says you've got to throw them back. So it's not about my fish that I get to catch. I'm just going to throw them back anyway. And guys, when I look at life, it's the same thing. It's not about the houses we live in or the clothes we wear or the cars we drive or the money we accumulate in our bank accounts or the status or prestige that we get in this life. All that stuff we got to throw back eventually anyway. It's about the time that we spend with the one who created us and loves us more than anything. That's what life is all about. And until you have a restored relationship with him, Nothing else matters. And when you get that, you want to tell everybody that because we believe that the love of our Father will heal this world. See, here's the thing. We get God's love, but we also get to give God's love away. And we realize what a privilege and what an honor that is. And you can call me naive. You can call me simplistic if you want to. But I believe that the answer to most of our problems in this world is the love of God. If people just knew God and His love, he would bring healing to our land. He would bring healing to our world, bring healing to people's lives. Because this world that we live in, it's broken, and it's sick, it's hurting, it's empty. And people are trying to fill this emptiness with everything else but the one thing that can fill them, the one thing that can heal them. It's kind of like another toy that my daughter Addie has. She's one of these shaped toys. I don't know what they're called, but you're supposed to put the right shape in the right spot, you know. And Addie still struggles with this a little bit. She's getting there. But she'll try to take a square peg and put it in a round hole. And it doesn't work. I mean, she'll fight with it. She'll hit it harder. She'll try to squeeze it, whatever. But it doesn't work because a square peg doesn't fit in a round hole. And guys, when you try to fill your life Sports or sex or academics or success or money or wealth or prestige or popularity, whatever. You try to fill your, the emptiness that you have deep within your soul with that kind of stuff, it's not going to work. It's like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. The only thing that will fill the emptiness that we have inside of us is a restored relationship with God. Now, all those things that I just mentioned are fine if they're done within God's will, but those things will not ultima ultimately satisfy you. And when I look around at our world today, what I see is that most of what people live for is a childish charade in the mind of God. It's a mirage that will never satisfy. It's a house of cards that sooner rather than later will come crashing down. See, I believe there's a voice crying out deep within our souls that says there has to be more to life than just what we see around us. And the truth is, there is. It's Jesus Jesus is the source and the meaning and the purpose of life because he is the only way that we can live in a restored relationship with the one who created us, our heavenly father. And until you have Jesus in your life, until he restores you to the father, you may exist, but you will never really live. 
And that's what we have to share with the rest of the world. Because when you've had your life reset by Jesus, you know you want everybody's life to be reset by Jesus because that's what will bring healing to the world. That's why Paul goes on to say this to the Corinthians. He says, though I am a free, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, meaning I'm willing to serve everyone to win as many as possible. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul says, when I'm among Jews, I act like Jews. I eat the food that the Jews eat because I want to get on their level so that by getting on their level, I can introduce them to Jesus. When I hang out with Gentiles, I dress like the Gentiles and I listen to the music that the Gentiles listen to and I eat the food that the Gentiles eat because I want to get on their level because I want to introduce them to Jesus. Paul says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order to share the love of God with people who desperately need it. And I think that's what the church is called to do. We're here to do whatever it takes in order to unleash God's love on people. And that's why I love our church, because we're a church that takes God-honoring risk to meet people where they are. We've always been a church that's done that. But if we ever stop doing that, it's time to hit reset, because we're not being the church that Jesus is calling us to be. We're not here to do what's comfortable. We're not here to do what's easy. We're not here to do what makes us feel good. We're here to do what God is calling us to do, even though it might be difficult, even though it might be something that hasn't been on our radar in the past. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity or fear or selfishness. We have the spirit of God, and he should be leading us. And when you have the spirit of God, it changes everything. Jesus talks about God's Spirit in John chapter 3. And listen to how he describes the Spirit. See, that word Spirit in Greek and Hebrew it actually means breath or wind. And look at what Jesus says here. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. See, wind is an interesting thing. It's one of the few things in life that we understand. It's both non-physical yet tangible at the same time. Can't really see it can't really hold it. You can't contain it, but you know it's there. You can feel it, and you see its effects. And Jesus says, it's kind of like how the Spirit of God works. Can't contain it. Can't really see how he's working, but you know he is, and you can see the effects of him working in your life. And if that's the case, if God's Spirit moves in this world and directs us in this world like the wind, then what should be our response as his people? Guys, we got to catch the wind. We've got to raise ourselves high and catch the wind, catch God's vision for this world and go wherever he is taking us. I once heard somebody say that sailboats are safest in the harbor. And even though that may be true, sailboats weren't created to stay in the harbor. They were designed to sail. And if we just sit around and do what's easiest or simplest or what makes us feel good or the most comfortable, we're not living out our God-given purpose. We're here to raise ourselves and catch the wind and go wherever God is directing us to go. We're to determine his vision for our lives, for our church, and go there. And we're to put the full force of the church behind it. And I think during this COVID-19 situation, we've had the chance to sit back and raise ourselves and make sure we're catching the wind because the winds of our culture, the winds of our world are changing right now. 
And we, and I can sit here, I can stand here today and I can tell you about all the awesome stuff that our church has done, new areas of ministry that we've been able to do during COVID-19. I can talk about the food that we've given away and the clothes that we've shared with people and the cars, the vehicles that we've given away. I can talk about how we pass out gift cards to healthcare workers. I can talk about how we cleaned up people's yards and we took care of those in need. I can go through the list and talk about all the things that we've done over the past several months during this COVID-19 situation. When the world was shut down, we were loving light, Jesus. But I think out of everything that we've been able to do as a church in the name of Jesus over the past few months, one of the most important things is our online ministry, our online campus, our online community, which we're calling First Church Live. Guys, because of this opportunity, we have been able to share the good news of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus with people who maybe weren't able to attend church on a regular basis in the past. And if, even if they were, they weren't able to attend church during the COVID-19 crisis. Guys, we literally have people from all over the country in different states who are worshiping with us right now. And if you're one of those guys, welcome. We are so glad that you're a part of our family. We literally have people in other countries that are tuning in and worshiping with our church family who are becoming part of our church family. We are able to reach more people than we've ever been able to reach before. And here's the thing. Back last fall when Tim Tibbles was hired as our uh, creative arts minister, Tim, Matt Thomas, and our executive minister and myself met at Matt's house one afternoon. And we talked about the vision of First Church. And we prayed where God wanted us to go. And we looked at different opportunities that maybe God was giving us. And as we sat there and we talked about it, one conclusion that the three of us came to was we need a stronger online presence. We need an online campus because our world lives online. And we need an online campus as a front door to reach people for the sake of Christ. And so from that moment, as Tim was hired, we started to work on putting together an online campus, an online community, an online streaming platform. And we started to buy new technology. We started to research how other churches were doing it. We started to look at different options and templates to go by. And this took a lot of work because here's the thing. Anybody can put an iPhone in the back of the room and film a service. We want to do it well. You know, we want to represent Jesus well. And so we started investing our time and our energy and our resources into what we're calling First Church Live. This was all before COVID-19. And we had a trial Sunday set to launch our services streaming online, and we weren't going to tell any of you guys about it. We were just going to be a test Sunday to see if we could even do it, just to practice, basically. And we were going to do it, and if it worked, then we were going to tell you about it and say, hey, we're now streaming our services online. And you know what the date that we set to, to do that trial Sunday was? The first Sunday, we were forced to go online because of COVID-19. We were ready. We were prepared. We had everything in place that we needed when other churches weren't. And it's a God thing. Because I believe back last fall, we started to try to catch the wind. And God was leading us in that direction. And now our online campus has a huge influence and it's growing and we want to see it grow even bigger. But our church has a history of catching the wind. Ten years ago, we launched a campus out at Stone Canyon because we saw an opportunity. There was a knee there, a door that got it open for us. And so we launched a campus out at Stone Canyon. And for the past ten years, lives have been impacted. Countless lives have been impacted because of our Stone Canyon family. And we've had opportunity after opportunity to love on people through that campus. 
And we've given away cars and vehicles there. We've given away food there. We've helped clean up neighborhoods and households because of the ministry there. And people have been introduced to Jesus because of our Stone Canyon ministry. We have a great relationship with the Stone Canyon School. In fact, we've given gift cards to teachers, and we've sponsored classrooms and classroom supplies. It's been a great, great 10 years. But here's the thing. If you want to catch the wind, sometimes the wind changes. Sometimes the wind changes rather abruptly and unexpectedly. And that's what's happened for us. We've been unable to meet at the Stone Canyon School for the past several months because of the COVID-19 situation. And we feel for the Owasso Public School System because they've been trying to figure this out like all of us have been. And not only have they had to close their doors to renters like us, they've had to close their doors to their own students and faculty And they're trying to figure everything out. And basically, the next time that we could use the school is uncertain if we will ever be able to. And also, even if we are able to, the circumstances that surround that are uncertain. The regulations that go along with it. And so after talking with officials from the school system, as well as our leaders meeting together and praying about it, we made the call that it was best to merge our Stone Canyon campus with our North Garnett campus at this point in our history you guys got an email about that this week, and so you guys probably already know that. But we decided to merge these campuses together in order to combine our resources and do what's best during this chaotic and crazy time. But here's what I want you to know. God has used Stone Canyon in a powerful way, and I don't think that he's done with us ministering to the Stone Canyon community. Just because we don't have a campus there right now doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to help the school and we're not going to continue to... Also continue to minister to the people in that area. But as Ecclesiastes tells us, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven, meaning sometimes the wind changes and we don't expect it. Coming into 2020, it wasn't on our radar that we wouldn't have a Stone Canyon campus. That wasn't even something we were thinking about. But it's the situation that we are now in. And so we have Stone Canyon family who are here today, and they're not used to being on our North Garnett campus. I get that. They've been coming the past few weeks. So those of you guys who regularly attend North, North Garnett, would you put your hands together and just welcome them here today, those who are present? We're so happy and so glad that you are here today. We love you guys, wherever you may be sitting. And we also want to let you know we are leaving the Stone Canyon community better than when we started. In fact, George Holderman, who's a principal of the Stone Canyon School, gave us this quote this week. He said, the partnership with First Church has been a blessing that has touched the lives of many. The teamwork and relationships will continue to be a light for our community. We're going to keep serving the Stone Canyon community. It just may look a little differently than it has in the past. And I believe what God has done over the past 10 years is something to be celebrated through that campus. Now, a lot of you guys have been asking, what about C.J. Epperson? <laughs> C.J. Epperson is our Stone Canyon minister. In fact, you want to put that picture up on the screen. Uh, he's the ugly one on your far left, okay? Uh, that's C.J. in the blue. I can say that. He's like a brother to me. I can say that about him. He'll hit me later, and that's all right. But uh, C.J. has been our Stone Canyon minister for just over a year, and so what about him? Uh, and I mentioned that we wanted to take our online community, online campus to the next level, Well, back when Matt, Tim, and I were talking about this, we said down the road as we develop this online community, we're going to need a full-time person to oversee it because here's the thing. We're not just going to stream services. 
We're going to have weekly podcasts. We're going to have weekly devotions. We're going to have online groups. We even want to put together a template where pop-up churches can exist all over the country who show First, serv- first Church's worship services. We've got a lot in store for this, and if this is going to be all that we believe God wants it to be, we need a full-time staff member to do that. And so when all this talk of Stone Canyon came up, I went to CJ, who's one of my best friends, and I said, hey, would you be interested in leading our online campus when it develops? And I wasn't sure how he was going to respond because we had never talked about that before. And he looked at me and he said, I believe God can use that in incredible ways. And if that's where he wants me to be, I'll do it. And it's not just that he wants to do it, he's excited about it. He's been doing research. Let me tell you something. If you go sit in his office for a few minutes and ask about ideas for our online community, I mean, your, your head will start to hurt because he's got so many ideas. He's excited about it. But just the other day, I came back to him and I said, CJ, buddy, still okay with all this? And he said, I'm catching the wind, man. I'm catching the wind. I believe that's why God has used our church over the past 100 plus years in great ways because we've had men and women from those who sit in the pews to those who lead our church, who've been willing to catch the wind time and time again. Jesus says in John chapter three, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. We don't know where God is taking us. We don't know what our church is gonna look like six months from now, a year from now, five years, 10 years from now, but I know one thing. If we're catching the wind, if we're going where God wants for us to go, it's gonna be an incredible adventure. And we're going to look back and we're going to say, wow, things have happened in this family that never could have happened if it wasn't for the fact that God was leading us, that God was guiding us. The future of First Church is bright. Let's raise ourselves. Let's catch the wind. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we've had to open up your word. And Father, we know that every now and then in life, as well as in the life of our church, we need moments where we pause and hit reset, that we turn certain areas over, of our lives over to you, maybe our entire life over to you and say, reset us because we're going in a direction that we don't want to go in or maybe we're not going in the best direction at this time. God, thank you for allowing me and everyone in this room to be part of a church that's willing to hit reset when we need to. Father, to be part of a church that catches the wind. Lead us, guide us because You are moving in this world. You are leading us at this time. And we just want to go wherever you want to take us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.